Good morning, church family. Good to see everybody today. Hope you guys are doing well. You made it to church on Daylight Saving Sunday. Come on now, give yourselves a hand. You made it. Granted, you made it to the late service, so it's, you, you lose a couple points for that. I, I, I saw this quote this morning I thought was hilarious. Daylight savings time, that time of year where people say they miss church because they forgot to set their clocks. It's funny because I never see anybody an hour early to church in the fall. So it's, anyway, but those people aren't here. We're glad you are. Uh, we're in this series called Spent. Last week, and we talked about finances, and this series is meant to aim at that. We decided to switch it up and approach it from a little bit of a different angle because we find that, especially in a lot of the cities and communities that we're in, the area that people are the most spent in are not necessarily their finances. This morning, I want to talk to you about your time, your time, because I find that most people are way overstretched and way overspent in relation to their time. And it is the most precious currency that we have here on earth. It is our time. And how we use our time is what our lives are ultimately made up of. And so it's important that we have balance in this area. Psalm 39.4 says this, Lord, remind me how brief my time on earth will be. Remind me that my days are numbered and that my life is fleeing away. My life is no longer than the width of my hand. An entire lifetime is just a moment to you. Human existence is but a breath. It's interesting. I see a lot of things from up here on stage. You may think that I don't see it, but I see a lot of things from up here on stage. Like that guy that thinks he's sneaky. He's trying to act like he's just itching his nose. Well, you're, you're, you're digging for gold. You know what I'm saying? Like, I saw you. I saw you. You may say you're scratching, but you scratch way up in there deep. Okay, so, I, but I do, I do. I, I get to see a lot of different things. And one of the things I notice from time to time is I notice people grabbing their phones to look at the time, looking at their watches to see what time it is. And I can tell by the look on your face, you're saying, man, it doesn't seem like this guy's wrapping this up anytime soon. And you're thinking about that game you want to catch after church or you're hungry or whatever it is. We're all very, very time conscious. Um, even subconsciously, uh, I think that we're constantly thinking, wondering what time it is. What time is it? I, I think that every once in a while, we lose track of time. You know, we can get lost in like a good book or a good movie. And for, we forget about time for just a little bit, but we recover very quickly after that. And a lot of times when we get into those times and we get out of those moments when we're not so paranoid about time, then we're even more stressed. It's like, oh man, oh man, I, should, I, couldn't, I really shouldn't have done that because now i got all these other things that I've got to do and I've got to take care of. I know a lot of us, that's how vacation feels like for us. If we go to spend this time to unwind and relax and we come back, we feel more stressed than we were before we left because, because we're running out of time. I think a better question than what time is it is what am I doing with my time? And this is a problem. And the problem with checking time consistently is that it's a constant reminder of the reality that all of us have, and that is that our time is running out. Welcome to New Life Church, where you could be encouraged and <laughs> uplifted this morning. I'm sure you're glad you're in church. But it is a reality. 
We have to be honest about our calendars tracking our months, our clocks tracking our hours, minutes, seconds. Actually, this last week in getting ready for this message, one of the other campus pastors sent me this website. It's called deathclock.com. Not the most encouraging website you've ever been to, but uh, on this website, you just punch in just a few details about yourself, and, and it will it says that it can predict for you how many seconds you have left to live down to the day that you're going to die. So I just want to let everybody know I'm dying February the 22nd, 2054. Uh, I have 1 million 134, or 1,134,668,953, 52, 51, 50 seconds left in my life. So I'm not going to waste any more time on that. If you want to check that out, you can go and do that and get depressed. Speaking of depression, let's look at this, this book in the Bible. It's one of the oldest books. Most theologians believe it's the oldest book in the Bible. Maybe one of the oldest books ever written um, that we have history of. This uplifting, encouraging book called Job. And if you've read through Job, you know I'm being very, very facetious. Uh, Job 7, 6 says this. My days are swifter than a weaver's shuttle. Not sure what that is uh, exactly, but uh, apparently they're quick. Uh, those weaver shuttles are, and they come, uh, sorry, they come to an end without hope. Remember, O oh God, that my life is but a breath. My eyes will never see happiness again. I don't think that one probably made a Hallmark card any time ever. Uh, once again, Job encouraging us in verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 5, my days are swifter than a runner. They fly away without a glimpse of joy. Okay, so uh, I'm glad we're talking about this this morning because we need to be aware of how we're spending our time. But I will say that when sometimes we come in here, we just hear really uplifting, encouraging messages. And I think if you don't have the right context, this may not be that encouraging to you. But if you have the right context, it's one of the most encouraging things that you can understand. And that's how you spend your time. What are you spending your time on in your life? I do find that at some point, Time seems to kind of flop on us, right? Because when we're little kids, time is just going by so slowly. Like we're in, in class. Some of you guys remember just staring at the clock, like just waiting for that bell to ring, waiting, whether it was for recess or especially the end of the day. And it just seems like Friday is never coming. Seems like Christmas always is three years away, even though it's only a year away every year. But you just can't, you're just suffering, waiting, your birthday, when is my birthday ever going to come? And then you get older. And then you become 40, 50, 60, and all of a sudden it's like, man, everything is just flying by. Like Christmas is here again? Or more specifically, Christmas music is here again? Like, does it have to be? It comes so soon. It seems like every year it's just... And that is getting ridiculous, people, okay? Like, some of you that love Christmas, great, okay? Go be your elf self. But we don't, not all of us want to start listening to Christmas music in August, okay? It's getting a little ridiculous. But, but time does seem to fly by a lot faster as we get older. And at one point or another, we, we, we start thinking about how old we are, and we start thinking about how much time we have left. What do we have left in our lives then probably around mid-40s, you know, a lot of us, we hit this crisis, the midlife crisis, because the reality that we are coming closer and closer to a finish line. 
Like our, our, our days are, are numbered. We don't know what it is, but we're coming to that end of that. And, and at that point, you know, people freak out. Dudes dye their hair, buy a Corvette, drive around with their shirts unbuttoned, listening to 90s rap music. It's a sad thing to watch. It really is. It's a sad thing to watch. Because the reality of time can be very, very heavy on us. All of our lives tend to trend similar. Elementary school, middle school, junior high, high school, and then we got a fork in the road. We got to decide, you know, am I going to go off to college or am I going to get a job? So make that decision in the process of school or work. And then we find a girlfriend or a boyfriend or maybe several boyfriends and girlfriends going through that process until we decide the person that we're going to marry. We make that decision, get married, have two and a half kids, because that's the average. And then we work a job really hard. And then we work some more, and then we work some more, and then we work some more, then we retire, and then we play golf, and then we get sick, and then we die. We've seen that story over and over and over again. You know, people that believe in reincarnation, I just feel really bad for those people because they got to do all that over and over and over again. Like that is really depressing to think about. There's a couple of things I think are really important for us to understand in relation to our time if we want to use our time and invest our time in a wise way. Last week, we talked about our money and how our our budget is us ultimately telling our money where the money needs to go. Well, having a wise, godly, biblical schedule is us telling our time where it needs to go so that we don't find ourselves in a place asking, where did time go? What happened? First thing is this. I must make room for God in my schedule. I must make room for God in my schedule. Mark 135 says this, Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Now, I think this is a key to a fruitful life. It's understanding that we have to find space, find time and room in our daily walk to spend time with God. In the Bible, it's this word, selah, This word is mentioned over 70 times, many times in the Psalms, Selah, Selah. And this word simply means this. It means to pause, to pause, to give pause, to have a rest. That's very difficult in our culture. It's very difficult. It's difficult in conversation. It's difficult to to ever feel like it's okay for there not to be something happening. It's difficult for there to even be silence around our lives. That's hard. That just made some of you incredibly uncomfortable because it's difficult. It's been wired into you like, no, you, you, we gotta be, there's got to be something happening. There's gotta be, we got to be talking. We gotta be, there's, we, come on. I think it's important that we pause. There's a rhythm of life that I think is very healthy, something to consider. I think it's important that we all retreat annually, we withdraw weekly, and we divert daily. We divert daily. We hit the pause every day to give time to God. I hear a lot of people say, I'm just so busy. It's been hard for me to have time for God. Well, that is a problem because time is how we connect with God. 
He needs time. It's just like any other relationship. If you want to have a strong relationship with someone, you're going to have to spend time. Ever had a conversation with someone that was very intellectual, highly intelligent? And if you ever had a conversation with somebody like that, and especially if they talk fast, she's just sitting there. There's times I'm having conversations with people like that, and I'm just like, dude, could you just, could you pause for a second and let my brain try to catch up with your brain? Like, it could take a while, but, but just let me try to grasp everything that you're trying to say. Well, I think the same thing happens with the Spirit of God. I think it's important that we pause so that our spirit can catch up with the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God is always moving, but if we are so busy that we can't pause, we don't get to walk in the Spirit. And without walking in the Spirit, we are missing out on the life that God has for us. It's only by His help, the great counselor, helper, provider, healer. It's only with Him, the Holy Spirit, that we're able to have the life that God has for us. But we have to be able to pause to understand what he is doing, how he's moving, where he wants us to go, who he wants us to go to. We need the Holy Spirit. You need a Sabbath in your week, for sure, but you need a Selah in your day. You need to be able to pause in your life. Because when you are in a hurry, this is the greatest tragedy of it. When you are in a hurry, you have no time for interruptions. The problem with that is almost every miracle that happened in the Bible happened with an interruption. And so often you are seeking God to move in your life in a a supernatural way, in a miraculous way. But the problem is you don't have any flexibility, no margin in your schedule for him to be able to show up and work a miracle into your life, much less use you to work a miracle into someone else's life. And if you don't have time, he can't interrupt. And if he can't interrupt, you're going to miss out on stuff. But I have found as a pastor, it's amazing how much time people can find when they crash. You see, when life comes to a halt, when something happens that you weren't expecting, all of a sudden you have all the time in the world. And I find that time with God is a lot like the principle of humility. And that is, with humility, you can either choose to be humble or you will eventually be humiliated. And the only difference, both of those have the same outcome. The only difference is one is initiated by yourself. The other one will come from an outside influence. And it's the same thing with your time with God. Either you will initiate time with God and intimacy with him on a daily basis, and you can walk in his presence and by his leading, or at one point or another, life will come to a screeching halt. And then you will be forced to have time. But I find that when somebody has a heart attack, man, things quit change in a hurry. All of a sudden, that person has all the time in the world. They're getting up early, making carrot smoothies with kale in it. Spend a lot of time fishing. Spend a lot of time because they have no choice. Or a person that starts to lose their family. It's amazing how quickly they're back in church seeking God desperately. Need, needing his Holy Spirit, needing his word, needing an encouragement, needing the church to help, needing someone to, to step in and intervene. But this is what I find. We don't have to hit bottom before we can be alert and woke and know that God is working outside of those times. If, here's the, and here, this is the difference. The difference is if you say law, if you pause, it's not that those things aren't going to happen. 
Those things may still happen, but your peace is ready for it. Your joy is ready for it. So it hits, and you're just like, wow, this stinks. (laughs) But I am caught up with the Spirit of God. And because I'm caught up with the Spirit of God, I know the power of His Word. I know His promise. And so these things don't have to steal who I am in Him. You can walk confident. You have to make time for God in your schedule. Revelation 3.20. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. It's interesting, when I was a little kid, I was at one of the more mean churches that I attended growing up. You know, with like the mean Sunday school teachers. It was a lot of hail and brimstone. It made you feel really bad, like even as like an eight-year-old kid. Just feeling like I was going to hell all the time. I'm just going to hell. And when I'd read these verses, my, my image of God was not that positive all the time. So it was like the big bad wolf, like, I'm, I'm at the door, and I'm going to huff, and I'm going to puff. And if you don't let me in, I'm going to blow your life apart. And that is not who God is. Because his spirit is a gentleman. His spirit is a gentleman. So what this is saying is, look, I'm not going to force my way in to your home. I'm not going to force my way into your life. I'm not going to force my way into your schedule. But if you will turn down the noise, if you'll turn down the busy and open the door, I'd love to come and hang out with you. And your Savior is willing and He wants to. But you have to make a choice to make room in your schedule for him. Number two, I must prune my life regularly. Yes, I was just able to use prune and regular in the same sentence. You're welcome. It's impressive stuff, guys. It takes a lot of time, dedication, to get to this level of cheesy dad humor. Jared actually gave me that one. Jared Humphreys, he gave me that joke. So, Once a year... If you have any plants or shrubs around your house, um, it's important that you trim them up, right? Or if you don't, they just won't grow. If you don't, then it's not that they'll necessarily die. They just won't be as healthy. And every gardener, they know if, if, if you're farming any kind of fruit, uh, you have to prune trees or they will not produce fruit in the next season. And if they do produce fruit, they won't produce the fruit that they could have if they would have been pruned. And our lives are very similar. In fact, right now we're in a new season. We're in the spring. And this is a time of year where if we don't prune and make the decision to trim, then we will hit another season where our lives will not be fruitful. We won't be producing the fruit that God has called us to produce. And it is dangerous if we just keep adding without pruning. If we just keep adding, then that's what leads to anxiousness and stress. That's what leads to relationships beginning to deteriorate and break down. Because we weren't designed, even physically, to sustain 
some of the speeds that most of us like to go at in our lives. We weren't designed for it. But what is it that drives us? What is the motivation behind how crazy some of our lives get and how we keep adding things, even when there is no margin really to add anything? I think the main contributor to that is fear. I think it's fear. I think we have this fear that somehow we're going to miss out. And that fear is perpetuated by a false sense of reality that I find a lot in social media and other places where everything that's presented, nobody's, nobody's really presenting real life on social media unless they're like the, the real victim mentality type people where everything is negative and they're, and they're always broken and everything's always a mess. But most of us, we're not posting pictures of ourselves like with our ugly cry because of something that's broken in our lives. We're posting the good stuff. Well, then everyone else is seeing that. It's like, wow, they, oh my, did you see the Valentine box they made for their kids? That, that had to have taken an MIT graduate engineering degree to put that together. Oh, I've got to step up my game or I will look like a total failure because of the Valentine's box. And so we just keep walking in that place of fear. And the problem with that is we wind up projecting the same fear into our families. And so now the fear that gripped us that we might miss out is now gripping our kids. And that's why we have them in 18 sports and all these other activities because we have this fear that if we don't do all these things, our kids may not turn out to be these well-rounded individuals in their lives. And I get it. I have four kids. We're entering into the season where we feel the pressure as much as anyone else. We better make sure that our kids are in some sport and they're excelling and we we got to have them, and, and you, you need to hear my heart on this, and you've heard me say this before, and I'm sure it bugs some of you. You wish I wouldn't say it, but I have to because I love you. I am not saying that having your kids in activities is wrong. I am not saying that. Last week we talked about it is not wrong for you to be wealthy or successful. It's not wrong for you to have money. It's just wrong when the money has you. It's not wrong if your kids and their activities and sports. It's just wrong if those activities have you. If those things have your heart, there won't be any room for God. And here's the thing I'm completely confident in. I don't know if my kids are going to wind up being successful in some sport. I don't mind them having a dream that they could be a professional whatever. I don't, I don't, I don't know if my kids are going to wind up being the smartest kid in their class and graduate with honors and get all these scholarships. One of them better because daddy wants a lake house. But I don't, I don't know if any of that's going to work out. But here's what I do know. I know this without a shadow of a doubt. I cannot predict if my kids are going to be successful as far as the world says is success. But I know this without a shadow of a doubt. Every single day I speak into them and who they are in Jesus. And when they become adults and all those other things may not work out, I know that they are founded in who they are in Christ. And so they will be successful because they know who they are in Christ. 
even if they don't find success in everything else that everyone else said that they needed to find success in. I'd rather them have Jesus. And the sad thing is this. I can't tell you how many students can't even come to youth group because of their schedules. Guys, I'm sorry, but our priorities have gotten royally jacked up. Because because we need him and we need community and we need the word of God. Your kids need that more than they need anything else. So just do what you can to keep the main thing the main thing. Some of y'all limped in here because I stepped all over your feet last week and you're going to go out feeling even more today. But it needs to be said. Because here's the secret. This is the truth. Even when you prune a plant, you don't just cut off stuff that's dead. You cut off stuff that's alive too. In other words, you're, you, you, you sometimes you cut off stuff that is producing some fruit. But you cut it off because you want to produce more fruit. So it's not that the things that are in your life are bad things. They could be good things. But sometimes good things need to be pruned so you can get the great things. So you can get the best things. Sometimes that's what needs to happen. It says in 1 Corinthians six twelve. this is Paul speaking. He says, everything is permissible for me. Everything's permissible, but not everything is truly beneficial. Why is he saying this? Because God has given you a free will, so you can make choices to do whatever you want, and most of what you do might be good, but it's not always beneficial. And just because it's good doesn't mean that it's God. So here's a question I think that you need to write down and answer for yourself, especially need to answer if you're leading your family, if you're leading kids. What in my life or in our life as a family needs to be cut out so that we can have time for the things that really matter? Number three, get the proper context of your life. If you're going to invest your time well, you have to have proper context of what your life is. If anyone can teach us about having proper context of time and our life spent, it's Moses. Because Moses wasted the middle part of his life, like completely wasted the middle part of his life. The first third of his life, man, he was raised in Pharaoh's house, so he had the best of the best, man. He had education and knowledge. He had everything, really, that the world would say are the most important things. He had that. He walked like an Egyptian, Egyptian, talked like an Egyptian, all that kind of stuff. Like, he did all that stuff. But then he murders somebody and he spent the second third of his life completely away from everything, including God, in a desert for 40 years. 40 years in Pharaoh's house, 40 years in the desert. He's 80 years old. People lived a lot longer back then. He's 80 years old before he finally surrenders to God's plan and purpose. 80 years old. So that speaks to some of you that think it's too late. That speaks to some of you that either because of years or because of your story and your experiences, you feel like there's just too much time that has passed. There's no way that you can still be redeemed and be used with whatever is left to make a powerful impact for the kingdom of God. But Moses is 80 years old and God, God finally gets his attention and then 
He spends the rest of his life doing God's will and becomes one of the greatest leaders that has ever been known in the history of mankind. I mean, amazing. But two-thirds of his life was spent on other things. God used it. God redeemed it. But it was in a large part wasted Psalm 90 was one of the psalms that Moses wrote. Uh, Moses wrote a couple of psalms. A lot of people think that David wrote all the psalms. He actually only wrote about half of the psalms. The Psalm 90 was one of the psalms that, that Moses wrote. And interesting enough, Psalm 90 is about how we spend our time. So this won't be on your screens, but if you have your Bible app, your Bible's with you. You can read this with me. Psalm 90. I'm just going to read a couple of verses here. It says this, Lord, you have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. I love that, okay? The dwelling place is not your house. The dwelling place is nothing physical. It's the presence of God. That's where we dwell. It's in the presence of God. You have been our dwelling place throughout all generations. Before the mountains were born, or you brought forth the earth and the world from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You turn men back into dust, saying, return to dust, O sons of men. For a thousand years in your sight are like a day that has just gone by or a watch in the night. So this is, this is powerful because Moses, in, in spite of the fact that he wasted two-thirds of his life, he now has context of who he is in light of eternity, in light of who God is. He gets now what this whole thing is really about He understands that this has never been the story of Moses. This has always been the story of God. And that's exactly what all of us have to come to a place of realization. We're not in our story. We are all written into the story of God. And so if the end of this stage is the end of time, and the other end of the stage is the beginning of time, everlasting is beyond that. Everlasting is beyond that. And God has written this in there with us in it to be a part of his story because history is his story. It's all about him. It's all about how we relate within that story (laughs) because as long as we think that we are the main character, we miss it. We miss it. As long as we think that it is about us and about what is just happening in our span of time, we will miss it. When I was 16, that's how I lived. Because when I was 16, it's all about my time, what I want to do, my food, my sleep, you know, looking at the mirror 18 times a day. It was all about me, about me. Problem is this. When people get to be 50, 60, 70 years old and they still think that way, those people are miserable to be around. They're miserable to work for. And it's almost unbearable to be married to them because they still think that the story is about them. And the the moment that you surrender that and say, no, this isn't about me. This is not about me. The moment that you say and you surrender to that and you start living for God's story will be the moment you actually get to be the real you. And you don't find it before then. 
You don't find it anywhere else. There is nothing that will help you find the real you and your identity until you surrender to the fact that it's not about you. It is about God's story, and you get to be a part of it. You get to live in this place. In verse 12, he wrote, Teach us to number our days aright, that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Teach us to number. Like, let us, let us look at our time and prioritize it for what matters most. Because here's the thing. All of you know how. All of you know how to number your days. You really do. Like if there is a young couple getting ready to get married, you go and ask the bride-to-be. She's going to know the time. She's going to be like, it's 17 days, 12 hours, 6 minutes, 37 seconds. Until we get married. And she'll know the exact, all the whole list down to the details, everything that needs to get done between now and then. She'll know all that. Or if you have a big test, you got a big test that's coming up, you're going to know exactly how much time you have before that test hits. Exactly how much time. And you'll still wait until the night before to cram, to study for it. But you'll know. You'll know exactly how much time you have. Or if you have a surgery coming up, if you know when a surgery is scheduled, you will know. You will be keeping track of every minute, because some of y'all, you're really nervous. You, you know, surgery's uh, scary for you. But you're also going to know, like, the time when you have to stop eating. So you're going to gorge yourself before that, you know, right at that time. Because as much as you may fear the surgery, you're most afraid to starve to death. And so, you know, what if I get in there and I can't eat and they forget to feed me? But we, we actually are really good at scheduling our time. Knowing and being aware. The reason why it is difficult to prioritize our life and the time of our life is because we don't know the end. We don't know the end. There's two ways you can go with that, though. One way you can go is, well, I don't really know, so I'm I'm sure I've got plenty of time. I remember different times growing up and in different seasons of rebellion thinking, well, I don't I can know. I can get right with God later. I can turn this around. I got time. I got time. That's one way to think about it. The other way to think about it is, I don't know if I have this afternoon. I don't know if I have tomorrow. I've got to make most of my time. Got to. I've got a couple really sick friends right now. And, and one of them did not expect at all that they were going to be sick. No expectation. But this is what I've noticed about people that find themselves in those seasons. The conversations change. I'm not saying the conversations were, were ever bad, but most of the time they were relatively shallow. You know, just talking about wants and desires and hobbies and whatever else. But now when you talk to those people, it's like every breath has value. And every word spoken with those breaths need to matter. They need to mean something because those people don't know if they have very much time left. And they know that there's a good chance they don't. 
But the truth is, we all live in that. We just haven't been diagnosed with anything. But we all live in that. We all... But when our, when our reality can see it, that's what changes things for us. So our prayer could be, God, I want to just get everything done that I'm called to do. I just want to get everything done. You've given me a purpose and a job. But God didn't just save you. He gave you a job. God, I want to get that job done to the best of my ability. Everything that you're calling me to do, God, help me to be wise with the decisions that I make and how I spend my time. Here's my life. Here's my life. My minutes, my seconds. Whatever I have, God, I give it to you. I've given this analogy before, and it's actually one that I use a lot, especially at funerals. I love the Olympics. Uh, there's just something about watching the best in the world competing in something. So Summer Olympics, Winter Olympics, I like it. Uh, I, I, I was really tired this Olympics round because you couldn't watch the Olympics live unless you stayed up at like till midnight every night. But I would do it because I love watching the Olympics. But this is the thing that's so fascinating to me. It's thinking about how much time those athletes prepare themselves. And especially on a world stage, when you have these athletes that come from like a communist nation, for instance, or a nation that just is run like that, a lot of those athletes, they were actually chosen and picked out when they were like three, four, five years old. And, and at their age, they're, they're essentially sent to these training facilities, like taken away from their families and put into these training facilities and their families can just come and visit them, but they live and eat and, and, and spend all of their time training at these facilities. Why? They are training their whole lives for this opportunity. And depending on what they're doing, this opportunity could only last seconds. You know, depending on, on, on the sport that they choose or whatever they're trying to, it, it could just, it could be, it could be 30 seconds They've just spent their entire lives preparing for an opportunity to do something great in 30 seconds. And only three of the people that did all that preparation their whole lives will walk away with a piece of metal that they hang around their their necks. Their whole lives for that moment, for that opportunity. Well, we may only live to be 70, 80, maybe longer by the grace of God, but we only have that much time to prepare ourselves and the people around us for eternity. We are in the race now. It's flipped when it comes to the kingdom. It's flipped. We're in the race now. So how how are we using it? How are we using it? I know that this is a little bit heavy, and I know that we maybe haven't laughed as much as we usually laugh. But there's an urgency. I I think we could all agree, even people that don't have a strong understanding of biblical prophecy and all those types of things, you just look around you, you can tell, like, 
it seems like things are getting pretty bad. I think there's a really good chance we are living in the last days. There's a really good chance. But I, but I find too, so often that even in my own life, that, that doesn't always motivate me to adjust things. Like I, I know I, I catch myself as a, as a pastor, as, as a, f- a father of four and a husband, that there are times when I am still not using my time the way I could be using it. I do know this, though. If we will just let the Holy Spirit have some room, if we'll turn down the noise and hear that He's knocking and let Him come in, He's going to help us see some areas that if we prune them, we're going to see so much more fruit. We don't have to cut everything. This is not a call by your pastor to say, sell everything. We're going to buy some property out in the middle of nowhere and build a big commune and we're going to make our own butter and clothes until Jesus comes back. No, you still need to be in the middle of people's lives. Some of those families on those sports fields need to see your example. They need to see your witness. They just need to see that you're different. They need to see, wow, they... They're doing some of the same things we're doing, but there is something different about them. I notice there's some things that they just won't go to because something else is more important. I don't know what it is. The world needs us to be in the world. But we have to get the perspective that we are not of this world. It's eternal. We're living for eternity. And I believe that God wants to do some major things from through us and for us, if we can get that. Amen? Let's close our eyes, bow our heads. I love listening to some of Billy Graham's old sermons. I really hadn't spent a lot of time listening to him. I was relatively young when he was still in his prime and, and still preaching a lot. But I, And going back and listening to some of them, I, I just appreciate the simplicity of the gospel. I love that in so many times that he spoke, he didn't really dress it up with a lot, you know. He just, he just communicated the gospel of Jesus Christ. He communicated the word of God. But I love it when those altar calls came and watching the videos of these people filling aisles to come down. And so often it was just after the simple message of If you died and faced eternity today, could you be confident that you know where you're going to spend it? Can you be confident that you know? Because if you're not confident, you can be. You can know that you are a son or daughter of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. And this whole idea of understanding the time that we have, see, even Christians, we could waste our time. We could just spend our lives and not invest them in what really matters. That could happen. But the truth is this, if you have not surrendered your life to Jesus, you have no hope that your time will really matter for anything eternal. And I want you to be able to have that hope. And here's the thing. 
Jesus didn't come just so that we could be relieved of the guilt and the shame and the condemnation of our sin. That wasn't the whole picture. The rest of the picture was that he could be our Lord. And that when our lives are surrendered to him as our Lord, it means that our time is surrendered to him and for his purpose. And it is in that place of his purpose that we find what Jesus also came to give us. And that is life and life to the full. You do not get that apart from complete and total surrender of your life to who he is. It is a surrender of your sin to the cross and to his blood. But it is also a surrender that from this day forward, I belong to him. Everything that I have, it belongs to him. If you're here today and you've never surrendered that, you've never made that decision in your life to surrender to him as your Lord and Savior, or maybe you did, but there's, there's been a season of your life where you've taken him out of the equation and you made yourself the center of the story. And maybe you need to rededicate your life to him today. If you're either one of those people, I wanna pray with you and you can make a decision right there in your chair but I'm gonna ask you to be bold enough, if that's you, to put your hand up right now all across this room. And as soon as I see your hand, you can put it down. I got you, buddy. Thank you. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am. I'm ready to accept Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I need to rededicate my life to him. God, thanks, bro. Thanks for being bold. This is a really good time just to surrender. Don't let your pride keep you from making the most important decision that you could in your life. Anybody else? I need Jesus. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, sir. Got it. Got it. Anybody else? I need Jesus. Got it. Ready to surrender my life. Got it. Okay. Anybody else? person to raise your hand. You can make a, a personal private decision right there in your chair. I'm not going to embarrass you. But the word does say this, that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth, then you'll be saved. So at one point or another, you need to declare that you are a believer. You need to tell somebody. I'd encourage you to tell somebody as soon as the service is done, the best way that you can go public with your decision to follow Jesus is through the example that he set, and that is water, water baptism. And the great thing is this, here in just a few minutes after this service, we're gonna have a water baptism celebration right out in our foyer. And if you've made this decision, or maybe you made this decision before, but you've never gone public with your decision to follow Jesus, you can get baptized today. We even have a change of clothes for you. And I would encourage you to make that decision, but right there in your chair, if you're surrendering your life to Jesus, let's talk to him and say this. Say, God, I know that I'm a sinner and I can't save myself. And I believe that you sent your son, Jesus, to die on the cross for me. And I thank you, Jesus, that because of the shedding of your blood and the stripes that were placed on your back, that I am healed and I am set free. And I thank you, Jesus, that you didn't stay dead, but you rose from the grave. You defeated my sin. You defeated death. 
and you're preparing a place for me that I'm written into the story of everlasting and that one day I'll get to spend eternity with you. I surrender my life to you. Help me to live for you. Help me to understand my purpose. Help me to understand your love. Help me to understand who I am as your son or as your daughter. There's nothing more important to me. Help me to use my life to be invested, to be invested in what really matters in your story and in eternity. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for how it convicts us. I thank you, God, for how it it separates our flesh from our spirit and helps us to see what really matters. And I thank you, God, that if we will respond, if we'll respond to what your spirit is speaking to us, you're going to give us the grace and the courage to do whatever we need to do to make the decisions. There's some tough choices that may have to happen in order for us to have the room and to have the margin. There may be some very difficult things, God, that you reveal to us that we need to prune out of our lives. But I thank you, God, that you give us the grace and the strength to make those tough choices. And I thank you that your promises are true and you will see, you will, we will see the fruitfulness of it, Lord. We're gonna see your grace and your favor. So help us to do that as a church family, God. Help us to be obedient with that. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church family, I, uh, we had several people, probably eight or nine people that raised their hand to give their life to Jesus. Let's just give God some glory in this place for that. Amen. Come on now.